I want to take as my text this morning that reading from the Acts of the Apostles, Acts chapter 5, verses 27 through 32. If you're making use of the Pew Bible, you can find that text on page 1085. The Acts of the Apostles, chapter 5, and beginning at verse 27. And this morning I want to talk on, uh, about this, the, the believer's number one non-negotiable. The believer's number one non-negotiable. And the believer's number one non-negotiable is obedience to God. <laughs> the believer's number one non-negotiable, obedience to God. To be sure, obedience to God was non-negotiable for the apostles, as is demonstrated in our text. And as we read the New Testament, after his resurrection, Jesus sent the apostles out to be his witnesses of the things that they had seen and heard. And when we come to our text, that's exactly what they're doing. And when the religious authorities who themselves had arranged for the crucifixion of Jesus had ordered them to stop, the apostles said, no, because that was not a negotiable point. As Peter and John had made clear in an earlier, on an earlier occasion, when they had been told to stop preaching and teaching in Jesus' name, in Acts chapter 4, which is a little before our text, Acts chapter 4 and beginning at verse 19. But Peter and John answered, Whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than to God, you judge. I'll leave that to you. But we cannot stop speaking about the things which we've seen and heard. And then similarly uh, today in our text, chapter 5 and verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, we must obey God rather than men. It's interesting, Jesus has lost to say himself about obedience. In fact, it's, it's there and we don't even notice it. I, I was reading one passage and I went, oh my gosh, there's obedience again. But Jesus has lots to say about obedience as it relates to us being believers and followers of him. Uh, for instance, uh, John chapter 14 and verse 15, Jesus said, if you love me, we love him, right? Oh, we love Jesus. And Jesus says this, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. <laughs> That's obedience. Or in John chapter 15, I was, I was interesting uh, when uh, we went to uh, the uh, diocesan council uh, back in February uh, one of the questions that they asked uh, together with, what's your favorite ice cream, as they were trying to make sure that everybody was able to get on and vote online, they asked, what is your favorite gospel? And the favorite gospel of the 600 people that had gathered for the diocesan conference, or maybe it was, a, I think it was 585, the almost 600 people said that gospel of John. <laughs> God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. John 3 and 16, right? John's, which gospel did you, I put Luke, <laughs> but uh, I was, I was uh, voted out. Uh, most people like John. This is from John. 
If you love me, you will keep my commandments. Or John 15 and verse 14. You are my friends if you do what I command. <laughs> and then in Luke, which is my favorite gospel, Luke and Acts, I like that sequence. Jesus asks this probing question. Why do you call me Lord and you don't do what I tell you to do? That's a really interesting question. For those of us uh, who are practical-minded, I, I like to be included in that group. Jesus says that obedience is the smart move. You remember the famous way in which Jesus ends uh, his famous Sermon on the Mount. He ends with this little parable. In Matthew chapter 7 and beginning at verse 24, he says, Everyone then who hears these words of mine and does them, that's obedience. Everyone who hears these words of mine and does them will be like a wise man or a wise person who built his house on the rock. And then the rains fell and the floods came and the winds blew and beat on that house. But it did not fall because it had been founded on the rock. And everyone who hears these words of mine and does not do them, does not obey, will be like a foolish man or a foolish person who built his house on the sand. And the rain fell, and the floods came, and the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell, and great was the fall of it. And obedience to Christ is at the center of what's going on in our text this morning from Acts chapter 5. But to get the context of what's going on in Acts chapter 5, uh, we need to back up to chapter 1. And there we find uh, Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, and sequentially the uh, author of the Acts of the Apostles, is writing to someone called Theophilus. Literally the word Theophilus means lover of God. Theo and philos. Philos means love. Theo means God, lover of God. In the Gospel of Luke, this person called Theophilus is also called most excellent Theophilus, which suggests that Theophilus was uh, perhaps a person of power and a person of means. Perhaps he was the patron who paid for the copying of what we know as the Gospel of Luke and sequentially the Acts of the Apostles. But a man uh, of, of power and means, indeed when we come to Acts chapter 23 and 24, Felix the Roman governor is called a most excellent Felix. Or when we come to uh, the 26th chapter of Acts, uh, Festus the Roman governor who uh, uh, succeeded Felix is also called most excellent. And so backing up to chapter 1 of Acts, just to get a sense of what's happening in chapter 5, because it's kind of, you're kind of coming in on the, you, in fact, you are coming in on the middle of things. We read this. Luke is writing. The first book, <laughs> that is the, the gospel, as we would know it, the gospel of Luke. In the first book, O Theophilus, I dealt with all the things that Jesus began to do and to teach until the time that he was taken up. In fact, you read the 24th chapter of Luke, and the last thing that happens is Jesus' ascension. 
I dealt with all that Jesus began to do and to teach until the day that he was taken up after he, was, after he gave commandments through the Holy Spirit. Commandments, there, right? You either obey them or not. After he had given commandments through the Holy Spirit to his apostles, who he had chosen. He presented himself to them alive after his suffering by many proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days. If you ever wondered, you know, how that went after the resurrection. Uh, the time between the resurrection and the ascension is 40 days. So he was with them for 40 days. That's time enough to figure out what's going on. But he presented himself alive by many proofs, appearing to them for a period of 40 days and speaking to them about the kingdom that was to come. Then you skip to verse 6, and it says, And so when they had come together, they, the apostles, asked him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom of Israel? That was something they really wanted. But he said, verse 7, It's not for you to know the times or seasons, that the Father has fixed by His own authority. Verse 8, But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you will be My witnesses in Jerusalem, in Judea, in Samaria. It just keeps going out, just like a rock into a, into a pool, into a pond. Jerusalem is in Judea. You go out to Judea. Samaria is beyond Judea. And of course then, to the ends of the earth. And this is exactly what the apostles were doing all through the book of Acts, teaching and ministering in Jesus' name, being a witness for him. Which, as, as is recorded in the early part of the chapters of Acts, also led to conflict and confrontation with the leaders of the religious establishment. Not just like what we would say, pagans, but in fact, religious people, the religious establishment. Indeed, that same religious establishment that had arranged for the crucifixion of Jesus Christ. And that's where we are when we come to chapter 5 and come to our text. The apostles are on trial in chapter 5 before the Sanhedrin, the council, for doing just what Jesus had told them. Not everybody's going to appreciate you following the commandments, even religious people. And this is an example of it. And so we come to our text in verse 27. And when they had brought them, that is, uh, probably the temple guard had brought them, that's the apostles, they set them before the council. The council in the Greek is the Sanhedrin. You ever heard that, the Sanhedrin? It just means council. The Sanhedrin was the highest legal, legislative, and judicial authority amongst the Jews that there was. They were based in Jerusalem, where the apostles were at this time. Remember, Jesus was died in Jerusalem. He was raised in Jerusalem. He, he ascended uh, from the Mount of Olives, which overlooks. <laughs> it's just a hundred feet higher than Jerusalem. <laughs> and as was already noted, this council had arranged for the crucifixion of Jesus. They were powerful. 
They were connected. When they threatened you or warned you, it wasn't just some small thing like, ah, no, it was serious business. And in verse 27, in the high priest, Caiaphas at that time, he's president of the council. He questioned them. In verse 28, and then he said to them, we strict, he's, by the way, he's apoplectic. Verse 28, we strictly charged you not to teach in this name. It's like, you know, when we warned you the last time, we thought this would be the last time we saw you. And we didn't like you when we saw you the first time. We strictly charged you not to teach in this name. That is what? The name of Jesus. And yet, you, you, and yet here you have filled Jerusalem with your teaching and you intend to bring this man's blood upon us. And this was all true. This is exactly what they were saying. In fact, almost every time that they talked about the, the crucifixion and the resurrection, they said, and by the way, and it was our guys that arranged it. The apostles had been warned and threatened by the high priest and the council, the Sanhedrin, not to preach and teach in Jesus' name, but they did it and were doing it anyway. Why? <laughs> because Jesus told them to do it, and they were being obedient. To him. Indeed, that's what Peter and the other apostles say in verse 29. But Peter and the apostles answered, We must obey God. <laughs> that's, that's a first principle for them. We must. We don't have a choice. I mean, it's not like they didn't want to do it. But they had to do it. They felt compelled. We must obey God rather than men. Or to even follow our own self-serving inclinations. I mean, what do you do when you're threatened with something? Especially when you're doing the good and somebody comes along and says, is that what you want to do? Uh, you might, be, you might uh, find yourself in a bad spot if you keep on that way. But they said, we must obey God rather than men. Indeed, the believer's number one non-negotiable is obedience to God. And then, <laughs> I can just imagine. It's like, warn these guys, deal with them, and get them out of here. They, they, they were from the Galilee they were seen as people by, by the metropolitan people living in Jerusalem. Jerusalem was, a, was, a, was an international metropolitan place. And, and, the, and Jesus and his disciples were from the Galilee. They were looked down upon. They had a, 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 an unpleasant accent, at least by the judgment of those who lived in the south, who lived in, in, in Judea. They didn't like these guys anyway, never mind all the problems that they were causing. But then Peter begins to proclaim his message to them. He doesn't just say, we can't, we can't stop proclaiming it to other people. He starts proclaiming it to them. 
verse, verse 30. He says, For the God of our fathers, the God of our fathers, we're all Jews here. <laughs> Your God and my God, the God of our fathers, raised Jesus, whom you killed by hanging him on a tree, which is a metaphor for a cross. Peter is saying that the, the God you claim to know and the God you claim to be serving by persecuting us is the God who raised Jesus from the dead. The same Jesus you killed. Now maybe you guys are on the wrong page, <laughs> Peter is saying. Peter continues, verse 31, And God exalted him to his right hand, a place of highest honor as leader and savior. Caiaphas considers himself leader. He's president of the Sanhedrin. And to give repentance to Israel and forgiveness of sins, or as Peterson puts it in the message, to give Israel the gift of a changed life. That's what repentance is. And the gift of the forgiveness of sin. And Peter continues, and we are witnesses of these things. We saw him dead. We were aware that he was being buried. And then we saw him alive. All the doors were locked, just as we read from John's Gospel. All the doors were locked. We were scared to death of you guys. <laughs> we're not scared anymore. What are you going to do, kill us? Because there seems to be this sort of pattern in our minds. You kill us, God raises us. That's what he did with Jesus. And we are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is speaking through us. You see this all the time in, in the Acts of the Apostles. And Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. And filled with the Holy Spirit, spoke. And filled with the Holy Spirit spoke. Which is just exactly what Jesus said. Don't worry about what you're going to say. Because the Spirit will fill you. And you will be given the words to say even in that moment. We are witnesses to these things. And so is the Holy Spirit whom God has given to those. Oh no, here we are again. Who obey Him. I think it's very interesting what happens next. And you'll have to, if you have your Bible, because I don't think it's on the screen. <laughs> but what happens next? Because that's not part of our text. But what happens next goes on in verse 33. Notice if you have the Bible there, verse 33. And when they heard this, when Caiaphas and members of the Sanhedrin heard this, they were enraged. Well, of course they were. That's what I've been saying. They were enraged and wanted to kill them. We killed Jesus, we'll kill you. Sorry, you know what. Verse 34, but a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel. Gamaliel was the most famous Pharisee and rabbi of the first century. He also, by the way, happened to be the teacher of the Apostle Paul in the Hillel tradition. But he speaks to them 
a Pharisee in the council named Gamaliel, a teacher of the law, held in honor by all the people. He stood up and he gave orders to put the men out, that is, Peter and the rest of the apostles, to put them outside for a little while. Verse 35, and he said to the council, men of Israel, take care what you're about to do with these men. He's kind of noticing something's going on here. And then he gives some examples and so forth. Basically, long story short, he talks them out of killing them. But then notice verse 40. And when they had called the apostles back in, they beat them. I don't know what they did. Perhaps beat them with rods. And they were plenty mad. So I'm sure they got a good, a good caning. Or what we would call a caning. If they didn't actually hit them with whips. And they beat them and charged them not to speak like we told you. This is the third time. Three strikes, you're out. And they charged them to not speak anymore in the name of Jesus and let them go. And then notice verse 41, and the apostles, they left the presence of the council. And they said, oh man, you know what? This is getting old. <laughs> right? This is getting old, man. I, 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 no, notice verse 41. And then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for his name. <laughs> Someone has written, obedience to God is the exact opposite of the pursuit of personal expediency. Listen to that again. Obedience to God is the exact opposite of the pursuit of personal expediency. And this, I think, is a, very likely the reason why the lives of some Christians are so seemingly void of spiritual power. They make use of God when it seems that there's something to be gained by that. But obedience to God isn't anywhere near being a first principle for them. Not a thing that can't be negotiated. Indeed, we might ask, what is the role of obedience to God in your life? Something you do sometimes or something you are seeking to pursue at all times. The believer's number one non-negotiable <laughs> obedience to God. Amen? I didn't get a good amen. Amen? Let us pray. Lord, we're sinners. As Paul wrote, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And yet, Paul wrote, and if anyone be in Christ, he's a new creation. The old has passed away, and behold, all things have been made new. 
And sometimes that can be sound, feel a little confusing. In fact, uh, when we come to Romans 7 and Paul, Lord, is talking about uh, the very thing I don't want to do is the thing I do and the thing I want to do because it's right. I want to obey. I, I want to live holy. I want to pursue God is the thing I don't do. And so we understand that struggle. But there should be one. And having decided what we want to do, We pursue you with all of our heart. In fact, is, isn't that just exactly what you've called us to do, to love you with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength? And as Jesus added, and our, as our neighbor as ourself, didn't the Lord say, Heavenly Father, that if anyone would be my disciple, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me? It's just everywhere, Lord. Old Testament, New Testament, in the Gospels, in the letters of the apostles. And it's almost exciting to, indeed I suppose it is a little bit, to read of these apostles and their determination. They don't not, they don't not, they don't resent and hate the members of the Sanhedrin who killed their Lord because you raised him, they're proclaiming the truth that is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. It's for all of us. Oh Lord, help us to understand these things. Give us a taste and an appetite for obedience that you're Lord and we're not. That you don't call us, Lord, to follow you or make use of you. But that you're Lord and you call the shots and we find freedom through obedience. Even as Cramner wrote, to serve you is perfect freedom. Our Jesus saying, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free. Help us, Lord. Help us, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen.